I've been enjoying this teaching series, Lost Arts, because one of the things I've gotten to do is to just tell some stories about my childhood. Uh, and if you've been here long, you know that that's kind of like mainly the stories that I tell anyway. But because the concept is like you think about times that are gone, you know, lost arts or gone times, bygone eras. And so once again, this is a story that's not gonna be like majorly impactful for you, but it's important to me. And it's just one little memory. It's a blip, just like the one I told a few weeks about, ago about the grandfather who carved the, the wooden airplanes. Do you remember that story? Some of you were here. Uh, one of my favorite things to do with that granddad was to build with blocks. And I remember I have this memory sitting in the hallway uh, with him and he, he, you know, he always wore these cowboy boots and these corduroy pants and was a hardworking man. But I remember an image of him on his hands and knees and we're building with blocks and my tower kept falling over and he just told me, hey, listen, if you want to have a good tower, you need to have a good foundation. And I've actually used that illustration many times. Like, I think that's one of the best lessons my granddad ever taught me anyway about life. But I remember building this wall with him and we were creating these like lanes one time to drive, you know, you drive the cars through because that's why you have blocks. They are the backdrop for the rest of of your toys. You've seen Toy Story. That's how it works. And so, and I remember him building these walls. And I, I want to tell that story because today we're talking about walls. We live in a world that loves to build walls. Uh, we got a lot of physical walls in our world, right? I mean, think about your life. Think about your neighborhood and consider how many fences are in your neighborhood. I mean, privacy fences and chain link fences, and you probably have multiple fences in your yard. Some of you do a front yard and a backyard, you know, to keep the dogs in, to keep the burglars out. Hopefully, if they don't know how to jump fences, they don't teach them that in burglar school anymore. So maybe we'll be okay, right? We got walls, physical walls. They're barriers for good reason. We got walls to mark property. How, how many of you have walls in your house? Yeah, uh-huh, yeah, that's good, because it's called a house. That's what they're made out of, is walls. And this room has walls in it, and some countries have walls around them because they're good property and boundary markers. Uh, prisons have walls and fences. Think about castles and the importance of the walls, but also a type of wall like the moat. And there are these barriers. And we understand that a lot of these physical walls have like important reasons. They, they matter. Those are physical walls. We've got figurative walls that are all over our life. Uh, we've got walls between, for example, men and women. Sometimes consciously and on purpose, sometimes just subconsciously and it just happens. There are obvious physical differences and biological differences between men and women. There's sometimes differences between, and this is the unfortunate part, like opportunities for men versus women. And so I'm not here to make a social commentary on that, but we get it, right? There's, there's some walls there and there are other areas of our life where those types of walls exist, whether it's, uh, you know, uh, an ethnic background or a racial thing or a language barrier, barriers or types of walls, and they're there for good or for bad, they create space. Politics can be wall building, can they? Jeez. And economics can be wall building. Religion can certainly be wall building. These are figurative walls, and they can actually do more than physical walls to separate us. Isn't that interesting? There's also maybe a more uh, directly, uh, it's, a, it's a personal wall. There are personal walls. There are walls between you and other people because of things. Sometimes it's because of a fight you had or a resentment that you have towards them or maybe a pride that you hold on to or a hurt you know, that's there. Maybe some misunderstanding has led to a wall between you and someone else. But so there's all kinds of walls, right? So we live in a world that love walls. We're really good at building walls. Uh, 
I think that the great American poet Robert Frost was right when he wrote this. If you're not an old school poet lover, I want to convert you today, man. I love poetry. Check this out. He, he says this in the poem he wrote called Mending Walls. He says, something there is that doesn't love a wall. Something there is that doesn't love a wall. In this poem, he tells a story about these two farmers and they have two properties and they're divided by a stone wall. And every year, for some reason, when spring comes around, big old boulders and rocks just fall off the wall. And so they're just there and they've got to go back out. Ironically, they've got to go back together to rebuild the wall that separates them. And they're like, we're doing this together. And, and uh, actually, this is the poem where we get the phrase, good walls or good fences make good neighbors. Have you ever heard that? Good fences make good neighbors. And he asks a lot of deep and probing questions in that poem. But this is a little like stanza that I want to read to you because this is deep and this is where I want to head today. He says, before I build a wall, I'd ask to know what I was walling in or walling out and to whom I was likely to give offense. Something there is that doesn't love a wall. I tell you, someone there is that doesn't love a wall. God does not love walls. When we first began this church, uh, and you'll see it on our website, and if you've ever got one of our little invite cards, uh, it says church for people who don't like church. What the heck does that mean? <laughs> uh, I had to wrestle with that question when we first were saying it. What does church for people who don't like church mean? And, and if you've been here long, hopefully you've heard us say this. Church for people who don't like churches, we want to be the people who would tear down the walls who have kept people away from church and God so that we can help them build a bridge to him. I mean, to the thing that matters most, to the love of Jesus. There are so many things that have kept people away from God's community, and so many of them are unnecessary. In fact, harmful. Something there is that doesn't love a wall. Robert Frost says, maybe it's elves. He's not sure. <laughs> I think that it's God. God breaks down walls, and he's, he sends us on a wall-breaking mission Tearing down walls is the reason that God came to earth in the form of the man Jesus. So that we could have a bridge to connect back to him. You know, Jesus had a set of teachings that he called, what we call, the Beatitudes. If you look in the book of uh, Matthew in chapter 5, he starts off that whole, it's a big section of teaching called the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, and I'm just going to kind of paraphrase a little bit of it. But go and get your Bibles out. We're going to be looking at it in just a minute, some other passages. But I'll tell you what this says. In Matthew 5, 9, he goes through a lot of like his most important state sayings. Before he says this, he says stuff like, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. You heard this? Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. But then he hits verse 9 and he says this, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Making peace is not something we are good at. You know what we're good at? Starting arguments, fighting people, starting wars, we're good at escalating conflict. You know what we're good at? We're good at building walls. I would, I would argue that wall building is the opposite of peacemaking. But God calls us to be peacemakers. 
So we're in this teaching series called The Lost Arts, and we've been going through uh, character traits and virtues that God values, but that our culture doesn't value. And so we've talked about some strong concepts like patience, like purity, like uh, forgiveness was one that was last week. And these are concepts that are hard to swallow because I don't really want to do those things. And so we're calling them lost arts because God can help us reclaim these virtues and these character traits. And today we're talking about the lost art of peacemaking. Peacemaking. We love to look to the Bible for God's most important truth. And so if you've got your Bible, I'm going to actually give you some, uh, the address of some places to look up if you want to. Uh, we're going to be in the book of James today. So if you'll grab that, open up the James chapter 4. Let me just give you a little bit of a info on who James was. James was the half-brother of Jesus. Uh, and in that they shared, uh, it's, that's a, it's a whole biology crazy thing because God came miraculously born. But anyway, grew up as the half-brother of Jesus. And in this process, he grew up knowing Jesus. So Jesus starts making these claims like, hey, I'm the son of God, and he's doing all these miracles and things. And James, of all people, was skeptical of who Jesus was. He was like, there's no way this guy is who he says he is. He was a skeptic. James was not a follower of Jesus at first until something happened. You guys know what's in two weeks? What holiday? Easter. On Easter, we celebrate Jesus rising from the dead. Yeah, and so James has this experience where his brother, who, you know, goody-goody Jesus, my half-brother, he dies, and he's like, well, it serves you right. That's why you started a cult. And then Jesus raises from the dead and appears to James, and James is like, oh, my bad. Wow. You know what James does? He becomes the first pastor of the first church in Jerusalem, and he writes this book, James. And so that's, that's who this guy is. So when we listen to James, I want you to understand, if you're skeptical about faith, if you've got questions about Christianity, you're, you're, talking, you're listening to a guy who did too, but he had good reason to believe. So we get James chapter 4, and he talks about this wall building and this peacemaking. Listen to what he says, James chapter 4, starting at verse 1. He asks the question, what is causing the quarrels and fights among you? Don't they come from the evil desires at war within you? You want what you don't have, so you scheme and you kill to get it. You are jealous of what others have, but you can't get it, so you'll fight and you'll wage war to take it away from them. So why do we build walls so easily? Because we're selfish. I want what I want. Think about the motives that cause war between countries. I want my land. I want my wealth. I want my safety. I want my way. Even if it means destroying someone else's land, someone else's safety, someone else's wealth. Who cares? I'm the good guy here anyway. And when we build walls, that's always how we see ourselves. When we rewrite history or when we write history, we always see it in the light of, well, I was doing what I thought was best. But what, what expense? Who did we push out of the way? What walls did we build in the process? And isn't it possible that instead of being peacemakers, we were making war? There's a Bible scholar named Ralph Sockman, and he once said this. I like it. He said, the paradox of peace is that we can't have peace, but we can, we can have peace only by fighting for it. We must wage peace with zeal and strategy that men have used in waging war. And I like that idea. Waging peace and strategy. Have you seen this uh, chicken sandwich battle that we're in right now? 
It's a big deal, guys. I mean, Chick-fil-A, Popeyes, they threw down the gauntlet, and we're like, who's got the best chicken sandwich? And then Wendy's was like, blah, blah, blah. Look, come on, Wendy's. Like, don't even try. But then Zaxby's showed up recently. Have you seen their commercials? Zaxby's chicken game is strong, okay? And they've got a new commercial right now where it's, it's hilarious because it starts out in a war room, and you got all these, like, military-looking people, and they got maps and strategies, and they're like, blah, blah, blah. Here's the plan. It's going to be big. It's going to be big. And they roll out the map, and it's just a big chicken sandwich. And I, I, I LOL'd all over myself. It was so funny. Um, but th- this is the thing. We, we, we need to wage peace with strategy the way that people wage war. Notice Jesus didn't say, blessed are the peacemakers. He didn't say that. Sorry, he did. Let me back up. He didn't say, blessed are the peacekeepers. Don't lose me because I misspoke. Philip, I hear you giggling. He did not say, blessed are the peacekeepers. Sometimes uh, the church is guilty of just saying, hey, let's everybody just mind their own business. Okay, 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 let's just, oh, sh- no, don't raise your voice. Okay. He didn't say, blessed are the peacekeepers. Well, you should keep the peace. He said, blessed are the peacemakers. This is about actively strategizing and doing what we can to create peace. Getting in the way of war to bring peace. And the modern church has not been great at that for a lot of reasons. But I want to say Jesus set the example. Let's talk about the way that Jesus made peace. He was constantly going to places where walls had been built and tearing them down. For example, Jesus spent a lot of time with a group of people that the Jews would have called the Gentiles. If you were Jewish, if you were in the nation of Israel, and you looked outside of the nation of Israel, the Greek word for that group would be nations. And when you translate that into English, that same word is Gentiles. So they would talk about everybody else, be like, there's, there's us, and then there's the nations. And they didn't hang out with the nations. They didn't hang out with the Gentiles. They were considered unclean. They were considered not to be done business with. They were considered dishonest, whatever. It was racism as well. It was a lot going on there. You know what Jesus does? Spends a lot of time with Gentiles. He goes out of his way sometimes, out of their way to go spend time with people who are not Jewish. I think of one particular time where he goes to meet this woman that's at a well, and she's drawing water, and and. And his disciples are like, shouldn't we like uh, go around this place? Because uh, yeah, we, we don't hang out here. And Jesus is like, no, we got an appointment. And he walks right through this place called Samaria. He meets this woman and he tears down another wall. Jesus spends a lot of time speaking with women. This is the first century when nobody's given women any credit or any value. But Jesus, Jesus speaks to women with intellectual equality. He gives them a seat at the table. He wants to hear what they have to say. He's rescuing them from a lot of men who are, you know, pushing them down. He's tearing down walls. Jesus spent time with handicapped people, disabled people, people with incurable diseases, people that the rest of society was like, eh, you can just beg on a corner for a living for all I care. And Jesus was like, actually, I'm sorry, I love you. What do you need? Tearing down walls. He was waging peace, tearing down the walls to bring people together because when we do that, it creates unity. Jesus showed value to people that society didn't value. So those are the walls, both figurative and actually some literal that Jesus tore down. Let's talk about some literal walls that Jesus tore down. So uh, in Jesus' death, something 
amazing happens in the whole scheme of how we relate to God. If you were Jewish at the time, there was a place you would go as the center of your worship. It was a temple in Jerusalem. And it was literally because it's a building, it was built out of walls. And these walls represented things. If you were a Gentile, if you were from the nations, maybe you did honor the God of Abraham, the Israelite God, but you, and you could worship him and it's totally cool. But like when you got to the temple, there were certain walls, literal walls, you couldn't go inside of. This is the Gentile court. And if not them, you can come into here. There were walls that women couldn't pass. In the center of the temple, there was a room that actually had a curtain in front of it. A curtain is a wall. It was called the Holy of Holies. And only certain people at certain times for certain reason were ever allowed to go in there because it was where God said, my presence will dwell here. Don't come in here in an unworthy manner. And in Jesus' death, he took that whole system. There's a whole a verse you could read. It talks about this, this veil tearing in two. He like literally tells, tears down physical walls. He says, you know what? Because in that other system, it, there was a message being sent. Subconsciously, yes. But there was a message being sent that said, you know what? God is in here and you are out there and you can't get in here. But Jesus is like, no, that's never how it was really supposed to be. I want to walk with you and talk with you and be with you. I want to tear down those walls. Those are physical walls that Jesus tore down in his death. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 14, if you want to flip over to Ephesians, also in the New Testament, um, the Apostle Paul's talking about this peacemaking that he did. Ephesians chapter 2. I'm going to read 14, and then I'm going to skip to 17 and 18, just to save us a little time. But you can read the whole thing this week if you want to. This is talking about Jesus. For Jesus, for he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. He came and he preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. This is how Jesus tore down the walls in his death because Jesus destroyed the barriers that divided man from God. His purpose was peace. And we're gonna learn a big word right here, to reconcile us to God. And reconciliation is about bringing two relationships back together. If you have a husband and a wife who maybe they separate, but then they decide we're gonna work it out and they move back in together, they have reconciled, okay? Log that away because we're gonna get to a passage that talks about it a lot. But Jesus's death did that, but it wasn't just his death. Christianity doesn't celebrate a dead guy. His resurrection did even more. The resurrection of Jesus actually tore down the greatest wall that mankind has ever seen, the wall of death. Death, by definition, means separation from life, yes, from loved ones, yes. But spiritual death is a separation from God's presence. Sin does that to us. But through Jesus' resurrection, we get an opportunity to be reconciled to God, to be united. Check out this. Flip over to, uh, to Romans chapter 6. And I'll have it on the screen here for you too. In Romans chapter 6, we, we learn a little bit about this reconciliation and how the resurrection does that for us. This is again the Apostle Paul talking. He says, we, talking about Christians, we were therefore buried with Jesus through our baptism you ever seen a baptism in water? I mean, you like dunk someone down into water. And, it, and this is actually very intentionally symbolic of burial, like a funeral, okay? 
We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that, here comes the resurrection, just as Jesus was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may have a new life. For if we've been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. He came in like a wrecking ball, tearing down the wall, creating a chance for us to have eternal life and all this other stuff. That's the heartbeat of Christianity is what Jesus preaches as what he lived and breathed and died for and rose from the dead for. It's why we do this every week. The apostle Paul says that if Jesus didn't raise from the dead, then this is all a waste of time. You cannot have Christianity without the resurrection. And the resurrection is what brings us unity with God. It's amazing. So, back to peacemaking. Waging peace. As followers of Jesus, if you would call yourself that today, we're called to tear down walls just like Jesus did. Christians are not just people who believe certain things. Like, oh, are you a Christian? Are you sure? What do you believe? Because honestly, there's a lot of us that believe different things. (laughs) We can't agree on a lot of things. That's not just what we're about, just what we believe. Christianity are not just people who just do certain things and don't do certain things. Christianity is not just people who go to church. Christianity is not just people sitting around waiting for heaven to show up. That's not what Christianity is. Christianity is a group of people on a mission for God in this world to do a number of things. But the Apostle Paul says it in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. It'll be on the screen here. 2 Corinthians 5, starting at verse 18. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. What's our job? What's our ministry? Reconciliation. Verse 19. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ. He's not counting people's sins against him. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. Reconciliation is bringing together. What is the message of the church? The message of the church is reconciliation. It's not division. It's not pointing out all the ways that we're different. It's finding unity in the person of Jesus. Verse 20 says, so we, guys, if your Facebook status says that you're a Christian, you better buckle in and listen to this sentence, okay? If you go around telling people that you're a Christian, you need to understand what you signed up for. Verse 20, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us. It's not just the preacher's job. It's all of us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. We're tearing down walls. We're making peace. We're building bridges. So, what would it look like for us to do this? I've tried to make this series like a super hands-on, practical, what do we do to reclaim this lost art thing? And so I've got four things, four, you can do it, four. If you're a note taker, jot it down, put it in your notes app, write it in the margin of your Bible. There's four things, they're not rocket science, but they're gonna take practice. Four things that I think we need to do. I'll try to get through them pretty quick. First one's this. First, we need to work on tearing down the wall between us and God. The wall between us and God has to be torn down. There are four walls, by the way. We're tearing down four walls. That's what these four things are. The wall between us and God. I just talked about that. That's what the message of Christianity is. 
We've got to do that individually. Each one of us have to find a place where we have understood what God is offering to us. God, God did this for you, okay? He's the all-powerful, supreme creator of the universe. But he looks down at each one of our souls and he says, I love that. And I'll do anything in my power to reconcile that to me, him or her to me. Our sin puts a wall between us and God. But God has said, I'm gonna come down to earth to tear down that wall. That's the story of Jesus. If you've never heard this story before, keep coming back. We're talking about it every week. I'd love to talk to you after we get done here. We can do that too. But that's the message of Jesus. And in, in accepting who Jesus is, that wall gets torn down for us. Now, Jesus does all the work. He takes care of it. I mean, he took care of the sin thing. I don't even understand like where my sin is stored. Like I don't know what box it's in. I don't know where in the universe sin and grace happen. But God understands all that. He took care of that. But I have a role in this. My role is, is faith. I've got to believe and I've got to take the steps I need to take every day to make myself closer to living that out. Maybe you need to tear down that wall. Maybe that's where you are. Maybe, maybe you, that wall between, you can't get to peacemaking until you get this first wall out of the way. It's a concentric circle of walls. And this is the one on the outside. It's something we talked about in baptism just a second ago. And, and this isn't a sermon on baptism, but you know, the act of baptism is a really beautiful place. I love how it's said in Acts chapter two, verse, uh, sorry, Acts chapter 22, verse 16. It says, and now what are you waiting for? Get up and be baptized and wash your sins away, calling on his name. Yeah, baptism is an act of obedience that we take because of our faith. Every single person in the Bible who becomes a Christian gets baptized like immediately. And I don't know what your doctrine or beliefs about baptism is. And maybe you were, uh, you were baptized as, a, as an infant uh, or maybe you with the sprinkling or with all kinds of different things. And I think one of our biggest goals is to make our decisions based on what we saw the early church do because that's what, that's what they did. And so we'd be most likely to be being obedient to what was told to them. So I just want to encourage you, baptism is a decision that each one of us makes individually. It's not one that our parents can make for us when we're infants. You can honor that. You can honor their decision. And you can say, I want to do this on my own. That's a choice you can still make. And so I'm not sitting here slamming whatever you know, decision your parents, ma parents made. But every believer we see in the New Testament is a believer who made the decision on their own. And then also this question of like, how important is it? You know that there are denominations, there's division in the church over baptism? It's not necessary. We just see it as an act of obedience and instruction. We just do it. You don't have to understand all the ins and outs that happen spiritually. Because in doing so, I love what's, what 1 Peter 3.21 says. It says that our baptism is not the washing of dirt from our bodies, but it's a pledge of a clean conscience towards God. It's a, it's a moment where I'm making a pledge. It's like my wedding ceremony. I love my wife. We've been married 18 years I loved her before we got married, but I, but I took a pledge. <laughs> I also went through a moment. I wasn't married before that. I loved her before that. I say this because as we get close to Easter, it's a good chance that someone that you know, a friend of yours who's never been to church might give it a try on Easter Sunday. It's the most likely time someone will come to church who doesn't normally come to church. And maybe one of the bold conversations you can have with them is a decision about choosing Jesus. And how cool would it be for you to baptize them in our ocean 
or in another body of water that we found. So we got to tear down that wall between us and God. That's the first one. I could go on and on there, but isn't that what every sermon's about? <laughs> Let's talk about the other walls. The second wall is this. This is a wall between me and others. I'm going to be short on this one because last week the whole sermon was on forgiveness, okay? So there are walls. I talked about personal walls. we got to tear down those walls. Romans chapter 12, verse 18, we read it last week, says that if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with others. We've got to tear down those walls between the people in our life that we know the best. So go back and listen to last week's sermon and do that, okay? We're going to move on. Third one. This is where it gets awkward. We got to work on tearing down the wall between others and others. Hold on. That ain't none of my business. What's happened between you and you is none of my business. And you're right. It's none of your business, okay? And so you, there's only so much that you can dive into other people's lives, right? But as followers of Jesus, we have a role to play in the climate that we set around us, surrounding things that have put walls between others and others. So... Our role is to strategically wage peace. We are peacemakers. And right now, our country is about as volatile and explosive as it's been since the Civil War. And there are any number of issues that you are being demanded to take a side on. Choose politics. Choose a side. Racial reconciliation. Pick a side. COVID-19. Pick a side. Masks and, uh, and vaccines. Pick a side. Economics. Stimulus package or no stimulus package? Pick a side. Schools, education, should we let them back into in-person? Should we do the Zoom? Should we go homeschool? Should it be private school, charter school? Pick a side. Our culture's like, pick a side. Pick a side or you're a bad person. And then what do we do from that side? Oh, we just throw rocks. We just throw rocks over the fence, and we just hope that it hits somebody on the other side. Why? Because really, uh, in war, the people who win who are the people who die the least. That's how you win a war. You don't win anything. You just killed a bunch of people. Guys, our battle is not with those issues. Our battle is not with those people. The book of Ephesians says our battle is not against flesh and blood. Our battle is a spiritual battle. But we are guilty sometimes of loving our walls more than we love the people on the other side. That is not how a Jesus follower lives. What do we do? Well, sometimes you got to have opinions, all right? And that's important. So you got to have standards and you got to stand on things, yes. But you know what you can do? Even if you're on a wall, on the side of a wall, you can walk right up to the boundary line and you can stick your hand across to the other side. You can say, look, man, I love you. You're my friend, you're my brother, you're my sister. And I'm not here to throw rocks at you. I'm here to see if we can tear this wall down. You may never agree, but you also haven't hit them in the head with a rock you begin to tear down a wall relationally, personally, eventually spiritually. And I want to tell you something. There are Republicans in the church and there are Democrats in the church. They're going to be conservatives in heaven and they're going to be progressives or liberals in heaven. Pick your side. Jesus' grace covers them. But we are to tear down walls and be peacemakers. It's not easy. Sometimes that means we got to step back and evaluate ourselves. And we're called to love people. And I got to remind you what Jesus said in Matthew 5 and 6 after the beatitudes, he starts talking about those people. 
You know who he says to love? Jesus says in Matthew 5, love the people that are nice to you and your grandma and love your next door neighbor if she makes good cherry pie. No, he says love your enemies. He says pray for the people who persecute you. He says if someone slaps you on the face, turn to them the other cheek. If they sue you for your shirt, give them your coat. If they force you to walk a mile, walk with them two miles. You know what we got to do? We got to stop. We got to stop ranting on Facebook. We got to stop going up against our coworkers to start an argument about an issue. We got to stop. When you walk up to a fire, you can pour gasoline on it and you can make it blow up. That's called escalating. Or you can take some water and you can put it down. That's called de-escalating. I have a filter that I've been trying to run my brain through for years now. I'm not perfect at it, but it's been getting better and better and better. My model is be a de-escalator. Be a de-escalator. I made that word up just for you. (laughs) Be a de-escalator. When you walk up to a conflict, don't ask yourself, who's most right? Instead, how could I make peace here? And I could appoint them to God. Is it easy? Heck no. That's why I didn't want to preach this sermon. (laughs) But it is necessary. Because it's how we reflect the love of God. Those are three walls. We need to tear down the walls between ourselves and God. We need to tear down the walls between ourselves and others. We need to do what we can to create an environment where the walls between others and others can be torn down. And finally, this is it. And this is our biggest calling. We have a mission to help tear down the walls between others and God. That was our mission. Did you remember that in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20? He said, we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. Verse 21, I didn't skip it on purpose. I wanted to save it. He said, we speak for Christ when we plead. Come back to God. You're not inviting people to church. You're not inviting them to Taco Tuesday or to coffee in the mug. No, you're inviting them to unity with the creator. And a group of people on this planet who just want to live under that. What a great invitation. We get nervous when we talk to people about our faith because what if I say it wrong and what if they turn me down? But man, if you had a million bucks you could give away to the first person you got to offer it to, like how long would you wait? Oh, you know what? They might reject this. You get the greatest gift ever. We've got to be bold. We've got to have the conversations. Yes, it takes time. Sometimes you've got to help tear down some walls first. So your first invitation is not always, hey, come to church with me on Sunday. Sometimes it's, hey, let's grab lunch. Let's talk about your divorce. Let's talk about the pain at work. Let's start there. We are Christ ambassadors. As a wrap up, I want to put a, a thought in your mind. Um, you're familiar with the name Nobel, a guy named Alfred Nobel. When, when I say Alfred Nobel, what comes to mind? Anybody? The Nobel Prize. Absolutely. That's who we're talking about. Prize is named after him. Um, This is kind of common trivia. You might have heard it before, but in this context, man, it hits home. So did you know what Nobel was most famous for inventing before the Nobel Prize? Dynamite. Alfred Nobel invented chemicals, including dynamite and other explosives used in war. Um... One day, Alfred woke up to a surprise when he was reading his newspaper, and he went to the obituary section, and he found out that tragically, 
he was dead. <laughs> his own name was in the obituary. It was a mix-up. Uh, it was actually someone else. I think it was actually his brother, which must have been equally surprising when they worked that out. But he found out that he was dead. And there was an article written about him. This was the title of the article, Merchant of Death. That was the name of the article about Alfred, Alfred Nobel's obituary. And it said this, Alfred Nobel was famous for inventing dynamite, which allowed people to be killed in wars in unprecedented numbers. And he's sitting there at his breakfast nook with his bagel. And he said, holy cow, is that what I'm going to be remembered for? It's a good thing I'm not dead. <laughs> Alfred Nobel, Nobel made a, a change. He took his vast fortune and he began to invest it in people who were doing good things. He created something called the Nobel Peace Prize. Alfred Nobel is no longer with us, but now he's not known as the guy who invented dynamite. He's known as the guy that celebrated peace. What legacy would you like to live? If you opened your obituator this morning and thank goodness it was a mistake, what legacy have you left? Is it one of building walls or is it one of making peace? Let's reclaim the lost art of peacemaking. Blessed are the peacemakers. They shall be called sons of God. Let me pray for you this morning.